Captain, I had a revelation uh, just now as I was coming on the show. It's about Pete Buttigieg. I, 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 you know, I used to think that, you know, I'd say, how, how could somebody like Pete, who had no experience except for being the mayor of a small, insignificant town in America, no offense, how did he become transportation secretary? And I used to think, well, because he's gay, you know, that was that 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 was hitting the checklist for the Biden administration. And and I also thought, well, it was an agreement he made too when he bowed out of the race, and it was an agreement, hey, okay, I'll 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 get out of here, I'll back you, support you, and you give me a cushy job. But I don't think that's how it went down. I mean, that might have been relevant, but I think what happened is he got a hold of Joe Biden and he went to Joe Biden and Joe Biden said, hey, I, you know, what are your qualifications? And I, I think that Pete Buttigieg told Joe Biden that he was a Rhodes Scholar. And Joe Biden said, you're a Rhodes Scholar. If you're a scholar of the Rhodes, well, I'm going to put you here on the transportation secretary. And it appears that he is very much a Rhodes Scholar. He's out there, uh, uh, an expert on roads, apparently. He can tell us that roads are racist. He can tell us that they're discriminating against uh, against our black brothers and sisters out there, which is unbelievable. Look, it's a, it's a jam-packed show. We've got a lot to get into today. Minneapolis, Minnesota just became the first Muslim city in America. Democrats in Chicago, they deserve uh, every pain that's coming their way after they just voted for this communist mayor. And that's how I look at it from now on. I'm sorry. You vote for this. You need to feel the pain. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll get, we got a lot to get into. But I, I want to start with, with, with white, white privilege here. Yeah, I got four hours of sleep. Captain and I were talking before the show. So I got a lot of sleep. I've got a lot of energy here today. I got to sleep. Cue up that first cut, Captain. I, I want you to hear Pete because... Pete is the, he's the pastiest, even more than me. He's the whitest person in America, no matter how you cut it, no matter how you look at it. And he's constantly lecturing black people, talking to them about all the discrimination they face. He's just down for the cause, don't you know? Mayor Pete, gay Mayor Pete. Pasty white and gay. Not exactly two things in the community he thinks that he wants to bond with, really, they, they care about. I mean, I remember back in California, back in, what, 2008, when they were putting the, the on the ballot there, that referendum on, on gay marriage, whether to allow it. And a majority of Californians voted, I think, well, for the proposition, but they voted against gay marriage. And much of that was driven by the, the black community, if you will. So cue up cut one, play. I want you to hear Pete Buttigieg. You just, every time he opens his mouth, every time he goes out there and talks, he makes a fool of himself. Play the cut, Captain, go. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities. Black and brown Americans, tribal citizens, and rural residents 
much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, the, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? Who doesn't have that access? That can drive disparities, and we have a, a responsibility to act on that. This is just so... It just makes your stomach turn. It's so disgraceful. Honestly, it's just cringeworthy. It's so racist in itself. He's sitting there across from Al Sharpton, who, yeah, we know Al Sharpton, the fake reverend, he's a loser, but he's sitting there across from a quote-unquote leader of the black community. And he's sitting there slobbering, you know, Reverend, we need to address these roads. You know, they are racist. Even, even, even people crossing the street, black people are more likely to get hit by cars. I mean, this guy is such a fool. I I just, their ideology is so corrupt that obviously, yes, one upshot of it is this nonsensical nature of it. But, but everything's just racist. This is what the Democrats have. I mean, I, this is how desperate they are, I think, for the black vote. I, the, the Democrats have to make everything when they're around any black individual about race, how they're helping the black community, how they're there. And the reason they do this is subconsciously they, they know they're frauds. Subconsciously they know that they're the party of Jim Crow and the party of the KKK. And so for them, they're always trying to cover up who they really are, which is the party of racists. That's what the Democrats are. That's that's what they always have been. Nothing has changed. They just bamboozled generations with poor education to believe that there was the big switch. The Democrats suddenly became the party and champions of civil rights and blacks and Republicans just abandoned their entire history, promoting civil rights, being on the right side of history in terms of slavery, discrimination, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just... It just just drives me crazy, as you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, how the Democrats have just bamboozled so many people by rewriting their own history. They do this all the time. But anyway, there's Pete. So before I get into this leaker and what happened, which is fascinating to me, it happened last week when I wasn't on the show, of course, and I was dying to get to it. Zelensky, we've learned, and the people in his government there, but, but Zelensky has embezzled $400 million from USAID. So all of our taxpayer dollars that we're sending over to Ukraine, well, it's being embezzled. Not only that, let, let me explain what happened here. And this this was another uh, Hirsch piece, right? The guy who, on his Substack, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner, he's the one who revealed that the U.S. government was responsible for the explosion for blowing up the the Nord Stream pipeline. Well, he has this other piece out and he's he's proven that Zelensky himself is skimming skimming the US taxpayer dollars. Can you believe this? And and it's worse than this. So get this. So Russia is the enemy in this, correct? Right? Ukraine is fighting against Russia. The entire argument made by neocons, rhinos, Democrats, Mike Pompeo, is that Russia is the enemy, Ukraine's the friend, and we've got to help Ukraine. 
We have sanctioned Russia, which didn't work, of course. But we've done everything we could supposedly to help defeat Russia, the enemy. And Ukraine is taking the money that we've sent them. Much of it intended to buy diesel fuel, right, to power their tanks, power all this stuff to fight this war, energy and so on and so forth. Well, Ukraine is taking our money and they're buying the diesel fuel from the Russians. You heard me correctly. The Ukrainians, Zelensky, is taking American taxpayer dollars and he is paying Putin and the oligarchs for Russian diesel fuel. And then he's stocking away the rest of the money because he's getting discounted fuel prices, apparently, from the Russians. And then he's taking what he didn't spend and sticking in bank accounts for himself and the other people. But uh, people aren't upset about this. I I doubt many Democrats even know about this. They'll find some way to say this isn't a big deal, no problem, whatever. But I I just... I I just can't get over this. I can't get over this. We're supposed to be helping Ukraine defeat Russia, and Ukraine is taking our aid money, and they're buying energy, diesel fuel, from Russia. Why aren't they buying it from us? Well, we don't produce any energy anymore. We know that. But but can you believe this? They're they're, They're padding the pockets of the sworn enemy? Obviously, Ukraine doesn't hate Russia too bad. Zelensky can't be too upset with the fact that Putin invaded his country. Can he? If he was, you'd think maybe he wouldn't pay the Russians? Give them our tax... This is such a scam. We are being so scammed here. I've never seen a more corrupt war, a corrupt endeavor in in my life. This is one for the ages, truly. So, So that's going on. We're giving money to Ukraine, and Ukraine's giving that money through purchasing diesel fuel to Russia. And now we have this leaker situation, right? This, this, this leaker situation, part of me says, who cares? Honestly, it's being blown out of proportion. It really didn't reveal anything that grave. I mean, the rhetoric's been hyperbolic, to be honest, based on what's actually in here. Honestly, this leak created more confusion than anything, than anything else. It wasn't like the Edward Snowden situation, where it was very clear why it was being leaked. And what the contents were, Edward Snowden proved that our own government was spying through this program called PRISM. They were spying a massive surveillance state on the American people. So that was clearly, he was exposing the fact that our government was spying on us, violating the Constitution. Now this, it's all over the place. And I, I, look, I too, like some of my colleagues out there, I don't buy this completely. We'll look at it from, from, from some different angles, but the, the gist of this, the gist of this, you have this 21-year-old kid, last name Teixeira, all right? And he wanted to impress some friends. So last October, he started sending these transcribed documents that he had obtained from, he, he was in the Air National Guard, so allegedly, he'd go to work once a month, Saturday, Sunday, on the weekend, when they meet, as the, as the National Guard does, 
And somehow he would get these documents, whether he printed them, smuggled them out, the physical copies or took pictures of them or whatever. Well, he'd get off work at 5 p.m. apparently, and he'd run home and he'd get on Discord, this this site used by gamers to communicate and talk and so on and so forth. And so he started uploading these to impress his friends. There were 25 of them in this chat group. And then when nobody was, no, nobody was looking at them, nobody was telling him how cool he was for putting them out, them out there, he started sending photos of the actual documents that weren't transcribed. And then apparently he told the people in the group that, uh, that you know, hey, if you guys are so, don't start looking at these documents and telling me how cool I am and realizing how awesome this is that I'm showing you this top secret stuff, these classified documents, well, I'm going to stop loading them. I mean, it's a very stupid situation. So, a couple things here. A couple things here. Cash Patel and other people have come out and said there's no way he acted alone. So let's just pretend for a second that this kid, this 21-year-old kid, and and look, they do hand out these security clearances like like candy. Uh, They do to some extent. I might have to bring you on in a second, Captain, to weigh in because you actually served in the Air Force. But the problem with some of the documents that he leaked is that some of them were CIA related. And these particular documents, it wouldn't matter that he had access to X, Y, and Z. Those documents in particular would not have been transmitted through those channels. He couldn't have accessed them alone. He literally couldn't have done it. And that's true for some of these other documents as well. He couldn't have accessed them. Many of them were on a need-to-know basis, and he he wasn't need-to-know. So it's literally impossible that he could have obtained these all on his own. I wonder if anybody's asked James Comey, if James Comey was the leaker. Maybe James Comey fed him the documents. Remember James Comey, by the way, he fed classified documents to a buddy at, at, uh, at Columbia, a law professor there, who then leaked those to the press in order to push and give momentum to the development, or the, basically the hiring of Mueller for the Mueller investigation. So maybe Comey fed him the documents since he has a history of it. Or maybe Adam Schiff. I noticed he wasn't hauled away and arrested either. Adam Schiff, the big leaker that we know about, leaked classified documents like crazy to the media while Trump was in office. So, you know, I mean, the biggest revelation to me from all this is that the U.S. had special forces on the ground in Ukraine. To me, that's really the biggest bombshell because the administration's been lying about our commitment. The administration has been lying about our involvement. They've been trying to walk this tightrope, supposedly, of assisting Ukraine without actually getting involved firsthand, if you will. And so this flies in the face of that. If we've had special forces on the ground there, well, we've committed boots on the ground, and that's what they said we were never going to do. So this escalates America's involvement there, escalates the war in many regards globally. We've been lying. Now, one of the other things in here that was interesting, at least, was that South Korea, who is an ally of ours, of course, well, they had hesitation about selling us weapons because they were fearful that we were going to turn around and sell those weapons to Ukraine. 
But there's nothing in here that's really a bombshell. There's really not. Now, I've been trying to rack my brain. I'm trying to understand why the media blew this story up. They didn't have to blow this up. Now, remember, he's been posting these documents to Shara since last October. And the last one he posted was in March, I believe. So for roughly six months, he's been posting these things and they slowly got out. And then a week or a week and a half ago, the New York Times suddenly got involved. And they tracked down. Basically, they did the work of the FBI. That's what's interesting about this to me as well. You have the New York Times and also the Washington Post doing the work of the FBI. It's, it's not the FBI that apparently tracked Teixeira down. It's the New York Times. And then the Washington Post had a bunch of interviews with two people that were in this Discord chat room. And one of the individuals wasn't even 18 years old. They had to get the kid's parents' permission to interview him. But I'll go through how, how all this went through because I find it interesting. And it was, I, I hadn't heard people really get into detail about it. I was kind of in the dark. And so I went, you know, well, I did a deep dive, I guess, if you will, to try and piece all this together because it's, it seems to be coming out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And it didn't have to be dealt with like this. I mean, really, nobody had seen these documents. That's the reality. Nobody knew about this until the New York Times blew it up and said, hey, we've got a leak. How did that benefit the U.S. government? How did that benefit anybody unless they have some other ulterior motive? If the argument from the government is, wow, this is a big deal. We got to clean this up. This is really dangerous to national security. That's the argument they're making. Wow, this stuff was leaked. Well, they put attention on it. They could have gone in and scrubbed it. They could have quietly done this, but they didn't. And the question is why? What are they up to? What are they doing? So you had the chat room on Discord, online platform that gamers use. Last October, this guy who went by the name, Teixeira, who went by this name, OG, he starts posting this transcripts of classified intelligence documents. Now, he didn't tell the group exactly where he got them. They knew he was working on some kind of base. But it, the, the, the way they tell the story, at least, the way it's presented, as far as we know, is that this kid seemed to just have kind of an ego. It, 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 the way it's pitched is, he just wanted to impress a bunch of friends with his access to this information. The Russia-Ukraine war is in the news every day. Guess what, guys? I have documents about the Russia-Ukraine war. They're classified. That's literally the way the Post and the New York Times is pitching this. But I want you to think about something. Here's my biggest takeaway from this leaker story. Are you ready? It's not really about protecting national security. It seems to me that it's more about protecting the status quo. And by the status quo, I mean the power structure, the hierarchy. Let me put it this way. If Teixeira had leaked these documents directly to the Washington Post and the New York Times, he would be protected. They would not reveal his identity. And they would consider him 
a confidential source. But Teixeira didn't leak it to them. He leaked it to a bunch of nobodies in a chat room in Discord. And so now it's a problem. The New York Times, the Washington Post, they're not strangers to obtaining leaked information and protecting the identities of those who leaked it. They do this all the time. They've done it with Trump's tax information that they shouldn't have had. I mean, they did it in the case of of Adam Schiff, his leaks. They leak constantly. It doesn't matter if it's classified or anything else. And they, they protect the identity of the leaker. You see, when it works to the benefit of the establishment, to the deep state, when it serves the Democratic Party, they don't have a problem with leaking at all. But in this case, you have Teixeira, a 21-year-old kid who doesn't seem left-wing, who leaked this on a Discord server. He didn't go through the media. And then the media turns around and does the job of the FBI and helps track him down. So that's odd. It's odd to me that the New York Times and the Washington Post view themselves almost as employees of the FBI. So here's how the New York Times found him. I I mean, just think about the enormous effort put forward by the New York Times to do this. And it's very unclear if they coordinated with the FBI, who led it. It, 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 these are questions that I would like answered. So you have this guy, I don't know if it's pronounced Arik, A-R-I-C, I suppose, Arik Toller. So he's a freelance reporter who works for the New York Times. And get this is just bizarre. Think about, okay. So Arik Toller, this freelance reporter who works for the New York Times. So he's on the internet. And he noticed that several similar documents that he'd seen on the app Telegram had also been posted elsewhere. So this guy stumbles across something that looks like classified documents, I suppose, and he'd seen them before. And so he's very curious, is this freelance journalist? And he has a tip come in. Somebody messaged Tuller saying that Similar material had appeared on the chat app Discord. It's so, and you can go, this guy's on Twitter. And he's posting things that he's seeing as some kind of investigative journalist. And supposedly people are messaging him that are really helping him track down this. I, I, I just, it's just strange. So he gets this tip, Art Toller does. They tell him about the chat app Discord. And then Arik goes and finds 10 documents there and he contacts the host. And then the host is scared. He's a young kid as well, like they all are on this app, Discord app, apparently. And the host gives Arik Toller some information about where he got the documents and he got them from this organization, this chat group, sorry, on Discord called Wow Mao. And there's a user named Luca who'd posted 100 images of leaked documents. So then Toller starts doing some live tweeting nonsense, reviewing everything, and people start sending him private messages, helping him on his investigation. And he finds out about this group called Thug Shaker Central, where hundreds of documents had been uploaded. So then, 
a former member of Thug Shaker gets in contact with Arik and tells him about this person called OG, who was the original leaker. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Toller gets some help from a couple other visual investigation reporters. Now, New York Times has an army of these people. They, they love this stuff. Visual investigations reporters. Anyway, so they start working with ARC, and they're looking at all this stuff. They're searching down the, the thug shaker. And they track down these different Discord members, start talking to them, interviewing them. And, I mean, these, these big sleuths here, I mean, they're looking at photographs of these leaked documents. And in some of them, these visual, whatever, investigation reporters, well, they noticed the surface on which the documents were sitting in one of these photos was a brown and white kitchen countertop. Just stick with me, because this is just bizarre to me. And then on Thursday, Haley Willis, another member of the team, and two colleagues, arrived before dawn at the Teixeira home in North Dighton, Massachusetts. We saw who we believe might have been Jack driving into the driveway. He saw us, we saw him, and his car froze for a second in the driveway. They approached the house, and Jack's stepfather, a retired Air Force Master Sergeant, was there. Haley asked him if she could speak to Jack. He's not going to communicate with anybody except an attorney, the stepfather said. And then soon a plane circled overhead, and the authorities were already on to him. And they say, back in New York, we published our investigation. And then later that morning, a SWAT team arrived at the house in Massachusetts. I wanted to tie up. I was, I was looking, it was out of order in the article, but, you know, this brown and white kitchen countertop. So the reporters were scouring Flickr, Instagram, and other parts of the web for this mystery person. They found one photo of Dak Teixeira, Jack Teixeira, in a military uniform, another of him smiling in the woods, and another of him in the kitchen of his childhood home, standing near a brown and white speckled granite countertop. So there you go. They put all the pieces together and find Jack Teixeira. So, all right, whatever. So the New York Times does the job of the FBI. Somehow they publish a report. The FBI show up. Strange, strange, strange. Now, I want to get into the fact that this, is, this, is, this isn't adding up. There's, there's more questions than answers at this point. Now, like I was saying, some of the reports leaked were CIA internal reports. This is not distributed widely. So the point is, even if Teixeira had access to these other documents, these were different. How did he get them? He couldn't have gotten them on his own. And I want you to just think about this too. When did Teixeira find the time to acquire all these documents and load them? Correct me if I'm wrong, Captain, but to my knowledge, the Air National Guard only meets once a month for a weekend. Unless they have some special project going on. What do you, what do you say, of, Captain? If I may say, that, 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 that's kind of the, the, the commercial pitch that the Air National Guard does. So, yes, they have one training weekend, assigned weekend uh, a month. and uh, But the, the National Guard is pretty much a full-time organization. It's always working. But the, the part-timers... 
are there. Uh, I mean, there could be more than one weekend. They just assign one weekend where everybody is required to be there. But throughout the week, uh, you have people coming in and out. There's actually full timers that work, you know, normal hours, just like uh, uh, the regular, uh, um, re not reserves, active duty. But it's very important, interesting, if I may say this, you know, as I've been reading about uh, this airman, that uh, he had a top secret SCI, which is sensitive compartmented information clearance. Now, the key word for that is compartmented. When I was in the active duty, I did have an TS top secret SCI clearance. Uh, and that was when I was flying the, the fairly classified F-117 stealth fighter. Now, because I had that higher level of, of secret clearance, that only gave me access to the program that I was assigned to. And that was the airplane that I was flying with. There's hundreds if not thousands of SCI programs out there. I had the clearance, an SCI clearance, but that didn't give me access to all those other programs. So what I find very interesting and kind of confusing is where did he get all this other information that he was not read into? And read into is when, when you get a clearance to a specific program. Uh, Program, uh, program, program. So, so all this CIA information and stuff like that—that's very interesting that he got a hold of that because that's definitely he—he um, he should have not had access to it. Well, yeah. So you're saying that, and you were in the Air Force. You're a veteran, so you know from experience. Cash Patel saying that. You've got even defense officials telling the telling ABC News the same thing that having a TSSCI clearance it doesn't grant you access to everything at that level. Exactly, it's compartmented like you said. And so, you know, I just think it's amazing. You started leaking this stuff last October. It's been 6 months he's been leaking this stuff, and now last Thursday he's arrested for it. And it just seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, that's fine. I mean, maybe the, the stuff they finally caught it and they go at, I mean, but the, the, the media, I guess my, my point is the media doesn't have any interest in these questions. The, the, the media is just happy to say, to share as the guy, they're not asking about the breakdown and the security with regard to the base. I mean, that's the question. If this is true, if you got access to this information, the number one question, if I'm in the media is how did he get it? These are the questions you want to know. And they, they don't seem concerned about that at all. Correct. And, and, and uh, you know, it's like I've been saying for a long time, you know, when they're telling you to look at this, look at this, that's when your eyes should be looking somewhere else because something else is happening that they don't want us to, to uh, uh, look at. Uh, I am very concerned that, you know, um, the content of this is not being talked about. And you you already mentioned uh, there are troops on the ground, American troops on the ground in Ukraine fighting Russians. 
you know, and uh, those are our uh, uh, brothers, sisters, you know, mom, dads, you know, that we promised we we're not gonna gonna uh, put up there. You know what? I mean, we know we we, we knew that that Zelensky was was gonna take a lot of money, uh, and uh, some of them is getting get back this way, so on and so forth. But there's one thing that is priceless, and it's it's our blood and treasure. And I'm telling you, as a military man, and you can ask well, pretty much any any veteran at this point, we are tired of seeing our kids in foreign wards. They have nothing to do with the national interests of the United States. And this is one. You can give up Ukraine to the Russians today, and it will not change my life a bit. It will not change your life a bit. It will not change anybody's life a bit, any any patriot. It will change only the elites that are have been using Ukraine as a as a laundromat. But for you yeah. and I, for the people that live next to me, you know, it wouldn't change a bit our lives no and the american people are sick and tired of it i mean i i just i just started the show right talking about Zelensky, how this crook has embezzled 400 million dollars that we know of from the u.s in aid that he's taking our money and then paying the russians with it to buy their diesel fuel this is absolutely absurd and it goes you know back what? to what i talked about with soros and everything else I'm going to go a little bit further because it, it, this is really something that, that, that is, uh, is affecting, this affects my life. And I'm not going to mention names, but, you know, I, I am, I'm involved with, well, a lot of hosts that have served, you know, a lot of hosts in Ryan American Media that have served. And I'm dealing with one right now that is having a veteran, that's having a, a, a mental and emotional issues in the veteran administration does could care less about these people. But we're sending money to Ukraine. But we're not taking care of our veterans. That's how this affects our lives. In a negative way. Our heroes, you know, instead of taking that money, which, by the way, they're just freaking printing. That's another subject. But instead of taking this money and putting it towards mental health programs for our veterans that need it so much... And they don't do it. That's how this affects our lives. Yeah, I think that the takeaway, what's become very clear is that our politicians, and the Republican Party too, but completely on the Democrat side, they only do things that benefit them. The politicians are not serving the American people. They're serving themselves. So if it doesn't benefit them monetarily or give them some kind of additional power, they're not going to touch the issue. That's why when it comes comes to the mass shooting situation, they won't address the underlying issue. They want to disarm the American population, so they make it about that. They don't make it about mental health. You'll hear in a minute, I'm, I got a story about what's going on in Chicago. The new mayor there, or mayor-elect, he won't even condemn... Basically, 200 black kids, that's the reality, youth, are going around like a mob in Chicago right now, 
creating havoc, jumping on cars, breaking things, rioting. Kids in Chicago. And the mayor will not condemn their behavior. He's blaming it on other people. Other people. It's, it's unbelievable. And two kids, I think, were shot so far. But I, I'm just sick of it. I, I just... So they arrested Teixeira. Let's just finish up with this here. And they're making a big deal of it. I would remind you that in 2013, when Edward Snowden, the 29-year-old uh, intelligence subcontractor for the NSA, when he leaked those classified documents that exposed the illegal and unconstitutional spying practices that were carried out by both the U.S. and the U.K. governments, the left literally wrote articles saying why Snowden is a hero. That was in 2013. Ten years later, now they're saying Teixeira's the bad guy. Now they're taking the side of a corrupt government that's lying to the American people. It's incredible to see. Snowden was a hero. Teixeira, they would hang him if they could. But Comey, right? Comey. I want to go back to Comey. Comey leaked classified information to his lawyers and to his buddy, Daniel Richmond. That was his name. Daniel Richmond was a Columbia Law School professor, buddy of Comey. And Comey, remember, he was going to get fired by Trump. Comey wanted to get revenge. So what Comey did is he sent these memos, basically conversations he had with Trump. He took, he, he took uh, notes and he gave it to the Columbia Law School professor, Richmond. And he said, essentially, you know what to do. Give this to the media. And the goal of doing that was to put pressure on the U.S. government and Republicans and everyone else to allow this Mueller special counsel to go forward with this Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Comey was exonerated. Nothing happened to Comey. So I'm just tired of, of, of how this works. All right. Let, let's, I want to continue with this gun stuff. The left has their talking points down, as they always do. And th- <laughs> this one just blows my mind. So the, the latest gun talking point to justify and give momentum to the Democrats to, you know, ban guns, essentially. Well, I don't know if you've heard this. One in five adults claim that a family member has been killed by a gun. Have you heard that statistic yet, Captain? You'll hear it now that I said it. It's like it's like when I tell you, I don't know, it's like when my wife was pregnant, I started seeing babies everywhere. Well, now you're going to hear this everywhere. One in five adults claim that a family member has been killed by a gun. Let's just do some math. There are roughly 333 million Americans or people in this country. So almost 140 million Americans. Claim a family member's been killed with a gun? <laughs> what? In the same poll, by the way, it says that only 18% say they worry about gun violence on a daily basis. So, you, so this poll says a fifth of Americans have a family member that's been killed by a gun, but only 18% are worried about gun violence. I, 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 I just, oh my gosh, 
These these people will lie about anything to to pursue their agenda. I mean, there were 40,000 gun deaths approximately in 2022, and half of those were suicides. And by intention, you'll notice the Democrats and the gun grabbers, they never differentiate between suicides and actual murders caused by guns. I think that's an important distinction to make. Suicide is not the same thing as the mass shooting or the other gun statistics. They're very different things. But they eagerly include that and don't differentiate because they want to inflate the numbers. And by the way, the sample size of this poll that says one in five Americans claim a family member has been killed with a gun or something like that, they, they, they sampled 1,271 people. What a joke. So he, here's another one. And they've been pushing this so hard. Firearms are the leading cause of death in children. Leading cause of death in children. Captain, what comes to mind for you when you say child or children? Like what age range? You know, you you think about little kids, I would think. Now, when they do this poll, it's children is anyone from the age of 1 to 18. And sometimes they extend it to 19 if they really want to inflate the numbers. So statistically, right? So... I mean, how, how many people, and look, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the fact that children are dying from gun violence. I mean, I don't like it when anybody dies, but people do die. And unfortunately, the Democrats aren't doing anything to actually address it. I mean, a lot of these quote unquote kids, how many of them are being murdered in Chicago? I, I, I would love that statistic. How many of these deaths of children are in Chicago specifically? A lot. But according to the CDC, 3,219 deaths from guns in 2020. 2,882 motor vehicle deaths. Those are pretty close. I mean, 3,219 gun deaths, almost 3,000 car deaths of young people. So why is it that they're not concerned at all with the 3,000 dead young children or children in car accidents. And I want you to think about something else. Well, let me do this first. For perspective. If you include... Now now, now notice... <laughs> do you notice that when they consider children, right? Okay. So the leading cause of death among children is guns. Now, why do they start at one and go to 18? Why don't they consider people that are under the age of one as children? Is that a legitimate question to ask? Why start at one? Why don't you include newborns? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if you include infants between the age of zero and one, that's no longer true. 4,403 deaths are from congenital abnormalities. 3,141 deaths are from short gestation. That's preterm births and low birth weights. So they have to exclude infants, babies, because they can't claim that guns are the leading cause of death in children. You understand how manipulative they are? They have to get rid of an entire year of age 
to make their point. We are winning on the gun issue in general. Now, the left is not stopping their assault, but in terms of a majority of states that are passing constitutional carry and so on and so forth, we are winning. Now, I said this last time, don't, don't get comfortable because at any moment they're going to come for them and they are trying to come for them and they could get them in an instant. They're, going to, they're pursuing this a million different ways, a million different ways. But you've got Nancy Mace, a Republican out of South Carolina. She supports the Democrat calls for gun control. It is amazing to me. Someone tell me another Republican state that produces more losers that are Republicans than South Carolina. What is it with South Carolina? How is it that South Carolina produces the biggest rhinos and losers in America? It's true. So cue up, cut two, Captain. I want you to hear Nancy Mace. So Nancy Mace is Republican. And this is what she has to say about the gun issue in America. Go ahead and play it, Captain. Go. And Republicans can no longer be silent on this issue. And it's not about the Second Amendment. There are plenty of things that we can be doing besides offering prayers and silence. Some sort of amber alert, for example, to let the community know there's been a shooting. Strengthening our background checks is something that the vast majority of Americans support. Hardening our schools, churches, and synagogues so that there is deterrence, so that when a shooter, potential mass shooter, enters a place, that they know that maybe they're not going to make it through because there's bulletproof doors, bulletproof windows. Uh, You know, those kinds of common sense things are all things that every American on either side of the aisle can get behind. But yet every time there's a mass shooting and they're increasing every year, every week, we just we don't say anything, want to bury our heads in the sand and hope that it goes away. But guess what? It's not going away. I mean, she sounds like a Democrat. Oh, come on. Nobody wants to do anything about it. We're burying our sands. We need common, burying our heads in the sand. We need common sense gun control. Everywhere you have these very procedures that the Democrats want to nationalize, they don't prevent it. A background check is not going to prevent somebody who doesn't have a criminal record from obtaining a firearm. The problem in America, as I spent I don't know, 40 minutes talking about last week, I think, is the education system, it's mental health problems in America, and it's driven by Democratic Party policies. I'm not afraid to talk about the issue. Those are the issues. The issue today with gun violence is the same as the issue was in 1994. It's always the same. You have policies in America that are making it desirable or necessary for certain Americans to turn to Lives of crime. And it's expanding. Captain, start that clock for me. And then, and then I've got another clip I want to play for you. This is a guy named Jordan Klepper. He's on with Jen Psaki. He's supposedly a comedian. And this is a, this guy, by the way, Klepper. Where, where does he work? Uh... Trevor Noah, where's he at? Comedy Central? Anyway, 
this guy Jordan Klepper, I think, is employed over there, has been employed over on Comedy Central with that with that propagandist outfit that's not funny. And and Klepper was arrested for insurrection back in 2019. That's right, insurrection. He's an insurrectionist. He was with nine other people who interrupted a meeting at the Georgia State Capitol to pr- protest Georgia denying tax money, college admission, free tuition to illegals. That's right. So Jordan Klepper was protesting because we weren't giving tax money to illegals. And he wouldn't leave when he was asked by police. And this is what I'm talking about. The Democrats and their policies, and we just sit here idly by and allow this to happen. But they are, they talk about dog whistles, you know. They're dog whistling for their terrorists uh, to continue engaging in these types of violent activism in America because they know that they're going to get off the hook. They know that that Kamala Harris is going to raise bail money for them if they're BLM, for example. And they always get bailed out. Now, Klepper, back in 2019, right, he was locking arms uh, with these other individuals. He wouldn't leave when he was asked by the police. Now, this is what pro-life activists were doing outside an abortion clinic a couple years ago. And the FBI, a year after the fact, decided to investigate them and charge them. And they weren't even inside the building like this guy. This is the problem in America. So anyway, here's Klepper. I want you to hear him make a stupid point. This is the thing. These Democrats go on these shows. They don't run into opposition. They don't have somebody like me to challenge them. And they get treated like they're smart. This, this, this gets passed as brilliance. This gets passed as intelligent conversation. But Jordan Klepper is another room temperature IQ lib. Play the cut, Captain. Go. You can convince somebody uh, to change ideas. You can have discussions over what people want. You can't have discussions over who people are. And what Trump has done is he's made the MAGA hat a symbol of who he is and who they are. And so you put that thing on, you don't believe in those ideas, you believe this represents you. And I was talking with a a gun rights advocate, Ryan Bussey, recently, and he equated the MAGA hat with the AR-15. And so we look at this (laughs) this gun culture we're a part of, and you have discussions of how do we lower these casualties, and you bring up something like assault weapons, and what they've trickily done is they've made the AR-15 a new MAGA hat. So you can't debate whether or not that is something a child should have, because now that's become a point of pride and a point of identity. And that, that to me, is something that is really hard to change. I want to be clear. The, the Republicans and pro-gun pro-Second Amendment, responsible constitutional gun owners out there like myself, we're not the ones that are promoting the AR-15 as a weapon of war. The Democrats are doing that with their rhetoric and the way they report about this. I want to be clear. When I was a young man, my dad got me a BB gun. I was a kid and I progressed from there. But I was always taught to revere guns. Now, these were not romanticized weapons for me. Uh, It was a constitutional right that I had just like free speech, and you respect it. Republicans and parents like mine are doing the right thing. They are raising responsible gun owners who revere not only life, but also recognize the reason behind our Second Amendment right. And we are law-abiding citizens. Now, the Democrats, in contrast, look at what they do. They turn guns, the Second Amendment, into something that should be looked down upon. 
And so they then shift and they create this romanticized, even if it's evil notion about guns. So they don't believe in good guys with guns. They just believe that guns are bad. So naturally, law-abiding citizens are dissuaded from exercising their Second Amendment right. We're dissuaded from celebrating it and then teaching other children about the importance of the Second Amendment, the importance of responsible gun ownership. And all the attention is given to criminals that use them. And so criminals revere these guns. Criminals look at the AR-15 as some weapon of choice to mow people down. It's Democrats who have totally hijacked the conversation about gun ownership in America. And they've made it so that responsible gun owners are supposed to be some kind of, are in some way supposed to be hesitant about it. And so I guess the point is, the only people that really want guns in America, if you listen to Democrats, is is killers. And they're the ones who put out AR-15 time after time is the gun of choice. When it's not, I've told you a thousand times on this show that knives kill more people than assault rifles. Hands and fists kill more people than assault rifles. Handguns are the weapon of choice in murders in America if you go by guns. But they are obsessed with AR-15s. Obsessed with them. They're the ones that put them on a pedestal. And it's not even accurate. It's not even true. Somebody uses it one or two times in a mass shooting and it makes up a minority of the murders in America. But the signal is the AR-15 is the weapon of choice for the killer. It's not even accurate. So, Chicago. Chicago. The, the media has not covered this nationally at all, by the way. It's amazing. Only local news has covered this. Over the, la- over the weekend, you had kids in Chicago running around like a mob. So I'll read this to you. You got video of the gangs of teens jumping on top of mass transit buses, rushing through the streets of Chicago on Friday. It showed um, cops desperately trying to corral the gangs of kids. Fox Chicago reported that the roving gangs of teens were also seen bashing in car windows. And after shots were fired, they noted that they pulled their news crews off the street due to safety fears. So you've got chaos in the streets of Chicago. Wednesday night, about 200 teens erupted in a mass fight in the city's popular Millennium Park at the southern end of the Mag Mile. Just imagine 200 kids running around the park, fighting, breaking things, and shooting guns. Kids. This is in Chicago. Now, when you have a shooting, when you have a shooting, It's the gun's fault, right? We got to blame the guns. It's not the person. It's not whatever. But in Chicago, I want you to hear what the new mayor had to say about it. Cue up, cut uh, four, Captain. Play cut four. This is the mayor being asked about the violence, days of violence in downtown Chicago. Go ahead. Because they, that's how they can eat? The real answer is... How do we make sure, the question is, how do we make sure that people can eat? Look, no one is going to condone, um, you know, behavior that, that quite frankly, 
speaks to a level of desperation. So you're not people you're not condoning out, looting. I'm saying that people are acting out of desperation. We don't want a society that is acting out of desperation. But you have to pay attention to the cries that people have. By so you're, you're not that, condoning looting. Th th there's no way to 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 embrace that. What I'm saying is you can't condone the looting that corporations continue to do every single day when they take tax dollars from black, brown, white folks all over the city of Chicago so that they can turn a profit. This is a lunatic. This is a lunatic. So there's a serious problem in Chicago and we know what it is. There's a big problem in the black community there and they're suffering and they're at this Horrendous point because of Democrat Party policies. That's why. They're not educated. The schools fail them. They don't encourage nuclear families. Kids are growing up in fatherless homes. They have no role models. There's gang culture. And that's because of Democrats. And he wants to blame corporations for what's happening. He won't condemn the violence. He won't condemn the behavior. As a black man, he will not sit there and be strong and say, we've got an issue and we know what it is, just like Don Lemon did years ago when he actually talked about these issues in certain black communities in the country. And he put out this statement, by the way. It's not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities. And this is the problem. Soft on crime. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the actual victim's fault, you see? And what is he talking about? Corporations are stealing money from black people? What is he talking about? They should be given things for free? Does anyone know what he's even saying there? And, and, and so the national media won't talk about what's happening in Chicago. They won't touch it. I dare you. Go and look up. Type it in. Chicago, you will not find CNN. You won't find MSNBC. You won't find NBC. The national media has a blackout of what's happening, happening in Chicago right now. But you know what the national media will cover? Walmart can't, closing half of its stores in Chicago. Cue up cut five, Captain. This is CNN. So CNN won't talk about what's happening with the violent mob of young black kids wreaking havoc in the streets of Chicago, but they will talk about Walmart. And I want you to listen to the slant. Now, it's a longer clip, Captain. I'll cut it short, I think. I don't know how long it goes for. But go ahead and play uh, CNN talking about it. Walmart. Walmart has closed four out of its eight stores in Chicago, giving less than a week's notice. Now, residents in the communities affected will have to travel farther for pharmacies and for groceries. I want to bring in CNN business reporter Nathaniel Meyerson. Nathaniel, why is Walmart closing these stores and what's the reaction in Chicago? So three of these four stores closing are neighborhood market stores, which are smaller than the traditional big box Walmart stores. Um, and Walmart's really struggled with this format. And so it's closing four of eight stores. The community is very frustrated by this. They're going to have to travel farther to buy fresh groceries, pharmacy services, retail services. 
And it's a particular burden on elderly citizens and people without cars and reliable sure, public course. transportation. Now, the move is a reversal of Walmart's uh, previous commitment to expand in Chicago. Tell us more about Walmart's history in the Windy City. So a really complicated uh, history for Walmart in Chicago. Opened its first store in 2006. It was pushing deeper into cities, trying to crack cities after expanding in rural areas in the suburbs. Opened its first store in Chicago in 2006. <laughs> A line of mayors, uh, Richard Daly, Rahm Emanuel, Lori Lightfoot, they saw Walmart as a way to expand access, solve some of these problems um, uh, with food deserts. And in 2020, Walmart temporarily closed its stores in Chicago after the protests over sure. George Floyd's murder. And they pledged to expand in Chicago, to invest in it. They said, we believe in Chicago. And then just three years later, it's pulling. Well, there you go. You can connect the dots. They closed down during the riots because they weren't safe. Their employees weren't safe. People were burning down cities, vandalizing stores, and it hasn't stopped. It's just like in San Francisco. Whole Foods, their flagship store, shutting down after less than a year of being open because they can't ensure the safety of the employees. They're being robbed blind because the policymakers in places like San Francisco have said that it's okay. It's legal to steal anything as long as you don't steal over 950. So they're legalizing theft, and so Walmart's leaving. Now, I don't have sympathy for Walmart at all. They're a bunch of left-wing lunatics and activists. They support the entire left-wing agenda. But here they are being driven out of Chicago because it's not safe. Their stores are being robbed. So that's what the media is focused on. Now, it's not a problem of crime. Walmart's just a greedy corporation. It's just amazing. And, and Walmart's going to sit there and continue to support left-wing causes. When left-wing policies result in this, them having to pull out. It's crazy, is it not? All right. I want to talk about Clarence Thomas. The left is going to be severely disappointed. He's never going to resign. He's not leaving. He's not going to be impeached. And they can shove it up their A-double-S's. Before I do that, the left is freaking out about Feinstein. I'm doing this in this order for a reason. Dianne Feinstein, she's 89 years old. She hasn't been in the Senate since February. She had shingles and she's had health problems. <clears throat> but there she is. These dinosaurs will hang on to power until they die. They would, I mean, it's unbelievable, these people. But anyway, she's been M MIA since February. She's not healthy. Now, Feinstein, importantly, is on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now, the Judiciary Committee, with Feinstein, is split 10 to 9, Democrat to Republican. So when Feinstein is there, they can get Biden's judiciary appointments made, right? So all of the appointments have to go through the Senate Judiciary. They get voted on from there. They get voted on there. And then they go to a House vote, and then the Senate votes to approve them. That's how it works. But they have to go through the Senate Judiciary Committee first. Now, Feinstein's gone. Guess what happened? It's a tie. So the left is apoplectic because they cannot put all their corrupt judges on all the various courts in the country. Now, they've gotten some of these judges already through, and they have some stocked, stocked up that can come to the, the House, to, sorry, to the Senate floor for a vote but they're going to run out soon. 
And so the, the Democrats, Chuck Schumer, is asking Republicans to do the right thing, the fair thing, and help them replace her temporarily so they can continue to get their judges appointed. And, 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 the, and the Republicans, to their credit, aren't having any of this. Now, there are a couple of ways they want to do this. One, if they could get the actual Republicans on the Judiciary Committee to go along with this, it'd be no problem, but they're not going to do it. And now the Republicans in the Senate, they're not willing to do it either because, remember, the Democrats would need 10 Republicans to go along with them to defeat the filibuster so they could actually get this rule change and get somebody put on that committee. So they're stuck. They're stuck. So Schumer and the Democrats are begging the Republicans or telling them that this is the normal, the right, the fair thing to do. Help us out. Meanwhile, the Democrats are calling for Clarence Thomas's impeachment. And they're going after Jim Jordan. And they're going after Trump. The Democrats can go straight to hell. I beg your pardon? Help us? Put our left-wing activist judges on the court? Meanwhile, we're going to continue to go after Clarence Thomas and demand his impeachment? And you know why they want Thomas impeached? Because the same white reason they want Trump in jail. They're inventing crimes that don't exist. Now, the Thomas thing, to be clear, he hasn't committed any crimes. They're inventing a crime that doesn't exist. Now, Thomas, he sold three of his Georgia properties, one that his mother lived in still, to a billionaire friend of his named Harlan Crow. Epic name, by the way, Harlan Crow. I am so jealous. Now, Thomas lost money on this deal. It's not controversial. He put money into the houses and then he sold them. And the media, they're just hysteric. He's a crook. Oh my gosh, can you believe Clarence Thomas? He's a criminal. Why? Because he did this thing and we say it's bad. It's like, I mean, this is what they do. They just have hysteria and it convinces their rabidly stupid base that there's wrongdoing. So they're calling for his impeachment. And they've been trying to get rid of Thomas forever. Because they're racist. They hate black people, obviously. That's why they're going after Thomas. I told you the Democrats are a bunch of racists. But they had to go back to 2014. So nearly a decade ago, they looked into his financial disclosure forms, and he didn't disclose the transaction of these homes. And the reason he didn't do it is because he didn't make money on it. He sold it at a loss. And now he's got financial advisors and aides that do his taxes for him. So obviously they didn't think this was a big deal. So now they've gone back to 2014 and they want to get Clarence Thomas. I mean, you've got Joe Biden. Perfect. You got Joe Biden who's taking money from the communist Chinese. We've got the bank records of it. It, it, Do you remember the name Tony Rezco? Does that ring a bell? Tony Rezco. So back when Barack Obama, right? When he ran for... Senate, the Senate. Well, he, w- he was elected a senator representing the state of Illinois. What is this, 2000? Before 2000, uh, 2006, 2005, four in that range. So Barack Obama approached Tony Resco. Now, he was a political fixer who was already at that time under an active federal investigation. Now, he went to Tony Resco. Obama wanted to buy this house in Chicago, and the house was like $1.6 million. And Barack Obama had just gotten a 
a uh, advance for his book at the time. What was it called? Um, oh, what was it? Audacity to Hope? Anyways, that book. But he wanted to buy a $1.6 million home. Now, the problem was the seller wanted to sell the home and then an additional lot with it. And they they wanted to sell it together. That was the condition of the seller, the house and the adjacent empty lot. Now, Obama already was having to reach to buy the $1.6 million home. So he couldn't afford it if he had to buy the lot too. So guess what happened? Resco's wife bought the adjacent empty lot on the same day that Barack Obama closed the deal on the house. Now it gets even better. Obama somehow paid $300,000 under the asking price for the home. Meanwhile, Resco's wife, Resco's wife paid full price, $625,000 for the empty lot. And Resco and his cronies had given roughly $120,000 to the Obama campaign. Campaign. How about that? Uh, All right. Let's end with this, Captain. I had a lot to get into. I didn't get. Should we do the let's do the, let's do let's do the the Muslim state of of Minnesota. So, the left is always going crazy about separation of church and state. They hate Christianity. In fact, the FBI we just learned from Jim Jordan was actually placing agents in Catholic churches, trying to embed them in the diocese to spy on Catholics, to report acts of terrorism. You know, when you actually worship and listen to the priest actually talk about the Bible and sin, well, they would report that as hate speech, of course. They're trying to eliminate religion. They're persecuting Christians in America again. So you can't have Christianity. So you got the FBI trying to put informants in Catholic churches. Meanwhile, the city of Minneapolis is the first city to broadcast Islamic call to prayer five times per day. So get this. Minneapolis is going to allow broadcast of the Muslim call to prayer at all hours, becoming the first U.S. city to allow the announcement to be heard over speakers five times a day, year round. The city council unanimously agreed to amend the city's noise ordinance, which had prevented dawn and late evening calls at certain times of the year due to noise restrictions. And they say, the Muslims on this committee say the constitution doesn't sleep at night. So now if you're in Minneapolis at 5 a.m. or 9.45 p.m., you're going to hear calls to prayer around your city. Now, can you imagine if a Christian prayer was put on the loudspeaker? This is a remarkable development. A remarkable development, and it highlights the reality that the Democrats don't really believe in separation of church and state, which isn't in the Constitution anyway. That's made up. That's a lie. That's one of the biggest lies perpetrated in America, this separation of church and state. That's not a reality. It's the idea that you don't have a theocracy, but you don't have to remove Christian, Judeo-Christian values or prayer from America. That's not what it means. It means you, you allow freedom of religion. But we don't have freedom of religion in America. We have uh, antagonism towards Christianity 
And we have sensitivity towards everything else, including this situation here. So, unbelievable to me. And Jim Jordan's the one, by the way, who exposed the FBI. He's going to bring in Christopher Wray, FBI director, to testify. He subpoenaed him. And I saw the New York Times, they're putting out hit pieces on Jim Jordan now. They're trying to intimidate him and threaten him. So that's how they operate. So it's time to get tough and fight back. And we're, we're doing it somewhat. Um, tomorrow we'll talk about the debt ceiling. I didn't have time to get to that either. What's going on there? The left is trying to reframe things and, and say, of course, that McCarthy is holding the nation hostage when it's them who are squandering our future and holding us hostage with uh, this debt limit crap time and time again. But anyway, this is Drew Allen, your Millennial Minister of Truth. God bless you all. And until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew, Drew Allen. Allen. Has Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.